Hey guys, I'm Chris. Happy Pride Month, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Bringing you another Pride-filled episode, and I think we are going into uncharted territory for the Film Flamers, as we're going to be talking about lesbians. Lesbian sequels. (laughs) (laughs) What's the blast from that Jurassic Park past? We shall be talking about our wonderful sisters. And this is one of the the best horror films, at least according to some people, of uh, 2018, right? Uh, Yeah, I think according to some, including myself, Mm -hmm. the best horror movie of 2018. Yeah, I think I've talked about it on this podcast many, many times. We're finally deep diving into... What Keeps You Alive? So What Keeps You Alive is a 2018 Canadian thriller film written and directed by Colin Minahan. It stars Hannah Emily Anderson and Brittany Allen, who also composed the score, and follows a young woman fighting for her life as her wife's murderous intentions become evident. The film was originally written about a heterosexual couple, only to be changed to a lesbian couple at the last minute, due to outside factors. Minahan has said that introducing a queer woman in the place of a male villain helped to normalize the queerness of the characters. Outside of some minor shifts, the story focuses very little on the gender dynamics between the main characters, creating a sense of presumed equality in their relationship, only to have it snatched away. Is that a gay joke? (laughs) It's a lesbian joke. Okay, listeners, this is what keeps you alive. There's a demon. I never told you about my first wife, did I? Erica. We got married when I was only 19. I mourned her, prayed with her parents, cried at her funeral. And of course, it has to look like an accident. Did Megan not tell you anything about Jenny? No, never. I'll do the same at yours. You must be confused. I mean, why would your wife do this to you? Probably thinking. We're in love, right? <laughs> feel that? Your heart racing. What do you feel? <laughs> Steady. It's nature, not nurture. Demon inside. All those people—they trusted you. I trusted you. I'm free in all the ways you're not. You're trapped by emotions, weighed down by guilt. You are never going to do this again. I'm not going to let you do it again. Your conscience isn't a source of strength. It's your Achilles heel. My dad, he used to say to me, you only kill what keeps you alive. I will bleed myself dry. Jackie, played by Hannah Emily Anderson, takes her wife Jules, played by Brittany Allen, to a remote cabin to celebrate their first anniversary. 
subverting the traditional lesbian anniversary norms of spinning it at Home Depot or in a bench loaves. <laughs> After their arrival, Jules becomes suspicious when Jackie's childhood friend, Sarah, played by Martha McIsaac, visits and addresses Jackie as Megan. Jackie explains that she changed her name by choice, but Jules isn't satisfied and visits Sarah and her husband, Daniel, across the lake while Jackie's out of the house, presumably at her side gig as a gym teacher. <laughs> Sarah explains that Ginny, a girl who was friends with her and Jackie, accidentally drowned in the lake when they were young and expresses surprise that Jackie never mentioned it. Jackie later claims that she failed to mention Jenny because she believed the accident was her fault, although the police did clear her of any wrongdoing. Jules embraces her wife and consoles her. Moments later, while admiring the view of the wilderness, Jackie shoves Jules off the edge of a cliff. Jackie returns to the cabin, doing her best Debbie Adams impression by practicing the tearful phone call she's going to make to the police to report Jules' death. <laughs> it's Deborah. <laughs> but Jules, while seriously hurt, is still alive, despite her flannel and Birkenstocks being worse for wear. It's <laughs> <laughs> so offensive. I love it. When Jackie discovers her wife has survived and fled the area below the cliff, she searches the forest for her, pretending to sob and begging for Jules' forgiveness. After all, it was an accident. Jules is tempted to show herself until Jackie, growing impatient and unaware she's being watched, breaks character to reveal the concern is all an act. Jules flees, makes it to the house, and tends to her injuries. She then makes it halfway across the lake towards Laura's house in a rowboat before Jackie catches up to her. Laura's husband, Daniel, played by Joey Klein, sees the pair and, despite Jackie's quiet threats not to reveal the situation, Jules arranges for them to come for dinner that evening, obviously hoping she can somehow ask them for help when the time is right. Jackie reveals that she never loved Jules and intends to murder her to cash in on her life insurance policy, as she's done to numerous other innocent lesbians. Sarah is suspicious of Jackie. Having threatened to kill both Sarah and Daniel, Jackie forces Jules to pretend everything's normal, but catches Jules trying to get help from Sarah. She slits Daniel's throat outside, chases Sarah upstairs, and fatally stabs her numerous times. Jackie then forces Jules to help her dispose of the bodies, cutting them up with an axe. When asked how she became this way, Jackie reveals that she had always been devoid of a conscience, saying it was nature, not nurture. Jules peeks behind the stuffed head of a bear that Jackie supposedly killed as a child and discovers a box containing necklaces that Jackie had given to her previous wives, all of whom she killed. Jackie then drives Jules back to the cliff, where she intends to push her wife off again, but Jules manages to escape by stabbing her in the neck with a tranquilizer dart she pocketed earlier. Jules escapes in the car, but must have suffered severe brain damage from her earlier fall because she decides to return to confront Jackie herself rather than get to safety and inform the police. The two fight, but Jackie eventually gets the upper hand, knocking her out and finally throwing her over the cliff of lesbian doom. <laughs> Confident that Jules is now dead, she calls the police with her pre-rehearsed message. Now that everything's taken care of, Jackie, a diabetic, injects herself with insulin, but starts to feel a bit woozy. 
Just then, she discovers a video on her laptop that Jules had made prior to their confrontation that the insulin is spiked with hydrogen peroxide. The peroxide causes blood clots in Jackie's system, and after wandering into the woods, she collapses and dies of a massive stroke. Back at the bottom of the cliff of lesbian doom, Jules' body lies motionless and bloody. She takes a breath. <sighs> the end? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So that, that synopsis is that we're just having a little fun with our with our sisters. I mean, after all, we do call ourselves the film flamers, right? That's right. And we're all very sorry about that synopsis, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> it's Megan. <laughs> what Keeps You Alive had its world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival on March 10th, 2018. The film also screened at Inside Out, the Sydney Film Festival, Cinepocalypse, and Popcorn Frights. IFC Midnight acquired the film for distribution in the U.S. The film opened in Los Angeles and New York on August 24th, 2018, and became available on VOD on the same day. It has a listed box office of almost $21,000, but no budget is reported. 21000 I would have expected at least 210000 or something. Maybe yeah. they left off a zero. It throws me off whenever I like see small numbers like that. So it means like three people went to go see it. <laughs> I mean, well, obviously, they paid like a thousand dollars each or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or you know more than that because yeah. math. And I'm sure that um, it's gotten some residuals, right? So it's been on VOD and streaming for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like things like these that, that are available on VOD the same day—that's how they get their money. And all of that is kind of kept close to the chest by whoever's you know streaming it. So we we never really know. But maybe maybe ten years from now we will. Who knows? Right. What Keeps You Alive has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh. The film holds a 43% audience score, however. Mm. The site's consensus reads, smart, stylish, and well-acted, What Keeps You Alive proves it's still possible to spin an engrossing horror yarn without fundamentally altering established formula. Metacritic reports a weighted average of 66 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews. Jamie Rigetti of IndieWire gave the film a B plus, writing, One of the most refreshing aspects of what keeps you alive is that the film offers a much-needed upgrade to the final girl trope and praised the performances of Anderson and Allen, as well as the scares in the film. She did criticize the predictable beats, but concluded that the film is a welcome look at what can happen when the final girl trope is allowed to evolve. Conversely, Roger Moore of Movie Nation gave the film a score of 1.5 out of 4 stars, writing, Why tell us everything when good actresses can simply show it? That's something any filmmaker fretting over making a not-as-good thriller should utter as a mantra, even if what they're showing us grows more preposterous than fun. How would a director know if he's making a not-as-good thriller? I mean, fuck yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, what, in the editing chair? You're like, oh, I wish I would have done this, but you can still go back and reshoot. Fuck you, Roger Moore, and the Bond film you wrote it on. <laughs> Andrew Whalen of Newsweek didn't seem to like the movie very much either, saying what keeps you alive sacrifices its most interesting possibilities in favor of the squat simplicity of the cine- <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> saying the squat simplicity of the cinematic psychopath, erasing psychological complexity and otherwise compelling characters. Well, hmm. what an interesting word to use, squat. Something <laughs> Yeah, we're, choices were made. That was intentional. I'm not sure that's the right word, but you know. It's quite, you know, psychological yeah. complexity. <laughs> and my favorite, over at NPR, Glenn Weldon's review headline for the film reads, When you marry a killer, the anniversary gifts are murder. <laughs> Stupid. <clears throat> 
In his review, he states, for the ending to play out in precisely the way it does, several leaps of logic, I'm talking Olympic-level narrative long jumps, are required. (laughs) But so what? In the moment, it scans. As soon as the lights come up in the theater and things like reason and coherence reassert themselves around you, that moment, like the film that precedes it, is likely to evaporate from your consciousness. But as it's unfolding, what keeps you alive delivers on its promise and serves as yet another reminder that cabins in the woods are to hapless movie characters what sausage grinders are to livestock. (laughs) I had to throw that in there. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, well, <laughs> we're going to get into the movie and as why that I think that, you know, review is pretty concise and straightforward. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Um, it does have a little bit of accolades, though. Uh, at the Mullins Film Festival in 2018, uh, it was nominated for Best Film, Best Director, Best Screenplay and Best Actress for Brittany Allen. Oh, so almost accolades. Almost, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what that film festival is either. So, I mean, I'm just like trying to find something. Yeah. So I feel like the first thing you want to talk about with this movie is how good it looks. Oh my God. Yeah. I um, completely agree with you. I, I, I was struck by this movie the first time that I watched it. Right. For, for many reasons. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I think the more times that I watched it, I was just like, my God, it really does look fantastic. Yeah. The cinematography is excellent in this film. And so is the acting, honestly. Um, the psycho, you know, Jackie played by Hannah, Emily Anderson is kind of iconic in this, especially when she puts on her like little black dress during the dinner party and stuff. She just looks so psycho chic, like, <laughs> like, you know, Sharon Stone reborn, you know, just on the verge of parting her legs. Yeah. I mean, she just looks like she's, I, I hope that I see her in, uh, in more movies because she was excellent. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And I, I think even more iconic than that little black dress, although it was very nice when she's like pulling her hair back into a ponytail. Cause she knows she's going hunting for her wife. You know what I mean? Like she, she just looks so unexpectedly evil in certain parts of this movie. Cause she doesn't start out that way. No. You know, I mean like we, she starts out, you know, as sort of this like loving, doting wife celebrating her anniversary. And, you know, toward the first, like the end of the first act of the movie, <laughs> she's like something completely different. She's yeah. like a bear huntress and whatnot, you know? Well, they kind of put a lantern on it because I was like, I'm not sure which one of these people are evil. And then she like breaks out the guitar. It's like, I'm a demon. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what the fuck? That long ass fucking song she sings. I'm like, There's we get it. You're the bad inside. guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and her wife has to stop her and she's like, okay, that's lovely. Okay, let's pipe down. It's time for sex. It's time for sexy times. <laughs> but yeah, I think she's she's a great villain. I mean, like over the top for sure, as yeah. far as the acting goes, right? But I think like I think the character lends itself to that, right? Mm-hmm. And um I just really, really enjoy her as a villain in this movie. I just, yeah. I just do kind of far better than I do uh, Brittany Allen, who plays Jules, sort of the victim. Our, our Ripley of the film, really. Yeah. I mean, the haircut. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like Brittany Allen did an amazing job. And obviously, I didn't know she did the music before that. I mean, <laughs> I did all this fact finding for this movie and I didn't catch that somehow. Um, so I'm glad you did. But no, it's uh, she did an, an amazing job. It's just that she's kind of upstaged by the, the scenery chewing, the elegant scenery chewing of, uh, of Hannah, who played Jackie. Yeah, I mean, I think that Brittany Allen did a good job as a victim, right? I think that she sort of plays like a uh, 
a convincing woman who's sort of thrown apart, you know, by her, her marriage sort of crumbling on her first anniversary in the woods or whatever. And I mean, like she, she's very convincing about like being torn about my wife just pushed me over the cliff, (laughs) but I want to go back and talk to her some more. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I think she's, she's really, really good. It's a really small cast too. So this is only a four person cast, right? So we had Sarah, the childhood friend, uh, played by Martha McIsaac and she did a great job. I mean, they were all serviceable. I mean, Joey Klein, um, you know, he had a couple lines before he was murdered, you know, but it's literally only a four person cast with bird. So yeah. <laughs> crap. Uh, yeah. I thought that uh, Martha McIsaac was good as her friend. Right. Because I mean, she's also playing like, didn't she tell you? I mean, she's, she really <laughs> is just like the pivot in the movie. she's like, Oh, she didn't tell you about our dead friend. Oh, yeah. She also has that thing going on in her face where, you know, you, she's saying one thing and thinking another and, and it's, you know, there's multiple layers there. And, and I think that had to be played just right. And, and it was, she had a very, very important pivotal role in this, in this movie. However, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, there's no small part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And as far as Joey Klang goes, I mean, I think that he's kind of cute and he pretty much always has a drink in his hand the entire movie. So I really respect that as a character. <laughs> I mean, like, okay. I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the background a little bit. Obviously, uh, we already talked about Colin Minhan a little bit, but this was written and directed by him. Uh, I, what I didn't know was that he's part of a, a you know a brother combo, like so many others that are you know happening, like the um, Wachowski well sisters now, and um, uh, the Duffer brothers who did Stranger Things, and the guys that did the Avengers movies or the Endgame and Infinity War brothers, like, I guess. And I don't know um, but these guys have kind of I don't know whether they coined it or someone coined it, but they call themselves the Vicious Brothers. Well, I and know. I think that <clears throat> Colin Minahan has sort of like stepped out of that uh, combo. Yeah, I think a little bit like this was, I think, Soul Direction and then I think um, something else was. Um, but they did, he or they did Grave Encounters 1 and 2, Extraterrestrial, of course, It Stains the Sands Red, one of your other favorite films uh, yeah. of his, and then Spiral, which you didn't like as much, uh, and coming soon, the Urban Legend reboot. Which I'm very excited about. So I, I really like Colin Minahan. I think that he is one of my favorite like current horror directors. Just because <clears throat> I really loved Grave Encounters, the first one. I haven't seen the second one. But um, as far as like found footage movies goes, I think it's really, really good. And oh. very scary. Okay. Extraterrestrial was also great. It was just a really good... God, I haven't seen also, any of these. Kind of like Cabin in the Woods alien movie. Like it was great. But <clears throat> It Stains the Sand Red was just his. Like he directed that one on his own. And I really appreciate that movie. Another small cast, sort of vast expanse of a setting, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um he wrote Spiral. So he's his he's got his like fingerprints all over like current horror. And I'm very excited to see what he does with the Urban Legend reboot. I just, I mean, yeah. and we recently had a person leave a voicemail about urban legend, right? So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's things to talk about with that. And I think that it's a good, it's a good choice for him to, to pick that up. I think he can do something really cool with it. As long as he keeps whoever the cinematographer was. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause really some of those shots of like trees and things like that were just gorgeous. The lake. Well, everything yeah. was really well framed too. Like everything was put together really well. There was one scene where uh, near the end, I think she's like doing her Ripley moment, getting ready to, to fight or whatever, fight back <laughs> jewels or whatever. But yeah. there's like so many God rays of light coming through the window in this like musty <laughs> cabin in the woods. I'm like, okay, tone it down. <laughs> we could like see the dust particles and yeah. those rays of light. You know, I mean, it really is like a well shot movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say too, I mean, uh, so we have what keeps you alive and we have spiral, both of which talk about, you know, LGBT themes, right? We have gay couples in both of these movies, um, lesbians and, you know, 
gaze. And I, I really like that he gives nods to that in, in horror. And he, I kind of like the fact that he doesn't make the plot only about them being gay. Right. Well, I think he tripped into that with this yes. film, right? Yeah. And it kind of it just kind of happened that way. And of course, he's not gay himself, right? If his if his wife is her, you know, is Jules, right? Um, you know, and then I think maybe he, you know, on that success, decided to kind of move forward with that and, and do Spiral. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, I mean, like like you said just then too, uh, it was originally written to be a man and a woman playing these roles, right? I can only assume that the man would have been hunting the woman in the woods, right? And by God, yeah. how many times have we seen that? I would have rather know? been a, a, another Debbie situation. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, it's Deborah, and I know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I I kind of like the fact that they that they did this, you know, they sort of changed it up a little bit for whatever reason, and I could not find a reason why they had to make this choice in the movie to change it to two women. Mm-hmm. And this is solid like Canadian horror. This is filmed in Canada, and all of his, I mean, he's Canadian, I believe, and all of his movies are Canadian or considered Canadian horror movies, uh, you know. And I'm I'm right there for it. I think even Spiral takes place in Canada. I mean, I I just saw it the one time, and I wasn't super impressed by it. But I mean, yeah, Canadian horror. Well, let's talk about the the themes of this Canadian horror film. Okay. Well, obviously it's a thriller with a final girl aspect. It's, I don't know that it's kind of subverted at all, but it's a little bit of a twist because of the lesbian uh, aspect to it. Yeah. I uh, The thing that gets subverted for me when talking about the final girl and the thriller aspect of this is that I think that there are a lot of preconceived notions about what lesbians look like, right? In relationships. And I think that most people, most maybe straight people, I mean, I don't want to like call you guys out, right? But like when you see a woman who's a lesbian who has like shorter hair, you would think that she'd be the more athletic one, the more person who's willing to like go into the wilderness and hunt someone down, right? But in this one, we have someone who has like sort of longer hair and like it's sort of like shocking to see that kind of change in that character, right? right? Yeah, maybe a little bit of subversion of the stereotype. And of course, exactly. we riddled yeah. our, you know, we riddled our synopsis, you know, lovingly with with stupid stereotypes that aren't true, you know. But obviously, it's kind of a subversion that the let's let's say the quote unquote lipstick lesbian that audiences would expect is the one right. that's doing the hunting. Yeah, and that's exactly what I mean. You know, I just like you would expect that you know the the quote unquote lipstick lipstick uh, lipstick. Sorry. <laughs> pop (laughs) the quote-unquote cicero to be (laughs) you would think that that you know the more feminine looking lesbian would be the one fighting for her life right but it's not right we have this like really feminine looking lesbian hunting down the more masculine looking lesbian and i really love that about this movie agreed i thought that was a that was a neat trick um although they did give away rather quickly with the uh the demon song you know and i think the first time that i saw this movie i didn't quite pick up on that i think that i was super wrapped up in it and i i mean i fucking love lesbians anyway i just do like to my core and so i was just like super excited to watch a lesbian horror movie and i i thought the song was weird you know but i was just like well maybe she's got a little problem i really thought that somebody was going to be attacking them from the outside like that's what i was expecting the whole time watching that movie yeah you know beginning uh, well, I, I knew like as soon as the guitar thing, like as soon as she started singing, like there's a demon inside, what I would have loved to make the cliff moment that much more poignant and shocking mm-hmm. would be would have the other one sing it. Right. And have the the psycho actually looking and be really into the song. 
you know, yeah. and then kind of do a little switcheroo where, where the other one shoves a, one of the cliffs to subvert audience expectations. Just that extra click, you know what I mean? Bring it up to 11 a little bit. Well, I mean, I, I kind of like that idea as well. I think that would have made it a little bit more shocking, right? Although it's still kind of shocking when she pushes her off that cliff. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, still is. Still is. Because they yeah. did, they just, the, I have to say the editing and pacing of the film are also excellent. They really did it very intentionally and surgically. And I, and I thought, you know, uh, almost too much. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, another thing that really struck me upon retrospection of the film was, you know, like the, the whole vibe of the Cabin in the Woods. They, they got out into the forest. They got out into the lake, you know. And there's, it's not like Evil Dead where you're stuck at that cabin and it's an immediate vicinity, right? But the, the forest lake environment really gave it. A sense of claustrophobia, you know, and agoraphobia at the same time. That's very reminiscent to me of space movies like Alien or even Pandora or something like that, you know. And I almost want to say that like this could have like something similar, or that you could have taken the script and made a tiny few changes and put this on a spaceship in the middle of space, you know, and and give it heightened that much, you know, more of that aspect of it. You know, it's kind of interesting to me that uh, we take those stories and we put them in space. Like Alien was supposed to be The Shining in space, and it, it adds that level of claustrophobia or agoraphobia to it. It's just kind of fascinating to me. I kind of like that you use the word space when you talk about that, right? Because obviously you're talking about like outer space. Yes, right? the, the vast right? expanse yeah. alien, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so I think like space in its other definition about like the, the area that you're currently in, right, mm-hmm. can be both like indoors or out, right? And I really like that, um, you know, most Cabin in the Woods movies are like – you know, it's really confined, very claustrophobic, yes. like you said, right? But the, the house that they're in here is a gigantic fucking cabin, right? Mm-hmm. They spend a huge part of the opening of this movie of like watching Jules run from room to room, showing you just how really big it is, right? And then they go outside and there's like tons of forest to run through, right? A seemingly endless amount of forest. And then they get on the lake, which looks huge, yeah. right? In Ontario, so, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, for <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, like they, they really create this sense of like claustrophobia and no escape in these huge areas, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just, I, I love it. I love that like juxtaposition of that, like feeling trapped, but having everywhere to go. You know, there's also the very poignant, like psychological horror of never really knowing what's going on in someone's head, despite how much you think, you know, them, your significant other, you know, 20 years later, someone turns out to be an ax murderer or. You know, people go through this all the time with cheating, you know, things like that, or, or, you know, or someone in your family committing some sort of heinous crime, you know, that you never would have expected of them, you know, or it's just something just insidious or manipulative, you know, and it's like, we're all kind of paranoid about this. And maybe we don't even know what we would do, what our own selves would do in specific situations if we're backed into a corner, you know, but who is the secret sociopath or psychopath in your life? It's kind of weird to think about. And I think that's one of the scariest things about this movie and, and other horror movies, too. It's not the first time that this kind of trope has like presented itself in horror, right? Like, you know, not knowing the person you're closest to is incredibly frightening for everybody on a real life level. Hello, you know? Sydney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think about like some Stephen King work where he does this about like people discovering a secret life or whatnot. Yeah. And I mean, it just, it really is just truly frightening to, to devote your life to somebody. And then all of a sudden be like, Oh, just kidding. I'm going to kill you. Or, you, you know, the person who's your number one fan might do you the most harm. That's right. It's called hobbling. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that their their themes abound in this movie, um, and I think that they they get them across 
pretty pretty well i mean visually and like with, with acting and you know, all those things are kind of great but um i know that when after we watched this together that you had maybe some screenplay problems right yeah there there's some screenplay problems versus script or acting or cinematography or anything else right like i feel like this is problems that kind of happened in the structure of the film or even in the editing room i don't know versus like the the final script but they it kept going maybe because they were too close to it i don't know but like they they did it to kind of move the story forward and keep the tension up and the pacing is great but there's like almost like a catch 22 there right because for example i have like a i have a list <laughs> okay okay so when sarah calls jackie megan <laughs> jules is upset because she didn't know her her wife had a different name <laughs> and jackie tells her that she could explain but then the film cuts and they don't talk about it until the next day middle of the day when they're flo- floating in the fucking lake fine we'll talk about it tomorrow let's go get ready for bed sleep have breakfast go through the motions and then wait till we're in this boat till i can explain that no that's gonna happen as soon as they close the door that's not realistic that's not how conversation works i don't know i kind of disagree i feel like if if my husband we've we've been together for 10 years okay if he was just like just kidding my name's not robert or someone called him something different you know i would be like okay like we've been together for a long time i'm gonna just i'm gonna sleep on this for now and we'll discuss it later on i don't want to do it in the heat of the moment right i don't know i don't know is that is that (laughs) stupid no because this is a childhood (laughs) friend she didn't bring it up right it was her childhood friend like you know that it's legit when when she does like that's not even a nickname i mean either way i mean we we don't know what kind of fight they had (laughs) didn't have a fight because it was all like explaining the whole story behind it so there was no explanation during the during a fight that's that's the problem with that right it's like time stopped time stops for us because they skip forward but because of the screenplay it also stopped for them they couldn't actually talk about it until it restarted for us nothing happened off camera literally nothing that's that's how jarring it is for me personally and this kind of thing continues, right? And I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it if it hadn't become a pattern. So like when Jules visits Sarah across the lake because it's bothering her to get more details, right? Sarah mentions uh, the death of their childhood friend that Jackie might have had something to do with. She alludes to that and is shocked that Jackie hadn't told Jules that part of their history. And then it cuts. The conversation is dropped and no further questions are asked before the, it cuts to the next scene where she's already across the lake. Who knows how she got back? <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> presumably she rode herself all the way back after that but you know she probably would have waited at least an hour or hung out or something during that time she was winded she got a drink you know and everything else that she was talking with those people and that was the question on the floor and she's like oh well i'm not going to dig into this i'm not going to ask you any probing questions on that that does not that's not how it works they're just keeping it too close to the chest for the audience but they're also just removing that from the world that we're in and it is a it's a little weird to me after tranquilizing jackie Jules escapes, but decides to return, which, you know, this is less of that 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 weird time thing stopping for them and more of just a weird narrative thing to, to hey, well, we want this to happen in the story. So how are we going to make it happen? Well, we're just going to have her turn around and see a crow or something, you know, she obviously <laughs> wants to, you know, prove to her that she's, you know, she can, you know, her crow can match up against the eagle. It's a fucking stupid subplot about birds, <laughs> I guess. You know, I kind of yeah, liked it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a little weird. And she goes back and decides to return instead of going to the police, you know, and everything else. And I felt like that wasn't, that wouldn't have been, a, been necessarily a dead end. Maybe for a small cast, you need to do that to, to maintain the illusion of a larger story. But I kind of wanted like a hitcher kind of moment to play out there where the police do come, but she kills them. You know, kind of like the, the dozen the hitcher or something. And this is a big moment like, oh, I thought I was saved. The audience thought you were saved and subverted that. The police are no help here. 
You know, that would have been more interesting to me than her. Well, I'm not going to go and get help. Just, I just spent the, all this movie trying to escape and, and survive and get help. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn back around and confront this huntress. You know, it's just like it doesn't make sense to me. It was so frustrating when that happened in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like to think that she turned around because like she had some sort of like underlying feeling for her wife or whatever. I mean, like, yeah, her wife tried to kill her. And yeah, she spent the entirety of this movie trying to survive. Right. What kept her alive was running or whatever. Right. But I I like to think that she turned around because she loved her very much and thought she could change her or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the kind of like characterization I get from Jules. I like I like that. But she had that earlier in the film and she got that got that shut down several times, not only by Jackie saying it's nature versus it's not nurture like i am this mm-hmm. way i don't feel the same things you do and hey here's all the necklaces of the other people i've done this to you are a number in a line you know that several points in the story shut that down for jules she didn't have hope for her at that point technically she had already i'm sure you know done the whole insulin fiasco which is the next thing well i mean yeah i mean i think that for the viewer watching that she she, she shouldn't have any hope for her wife because of everything that she had told her pushing her off a cliff, hunting her in the woods, making her chop up bodies, murdering people in front of her. I mean, like, yeah, for normal people, of course, you'd be like, okay, obviously I married a psycho, you know, (laughs) but I mean, there's got to be somebody out there who's like, I know you did all these things, but, um, you know, I still kind of love you. I don't know. I mean, like, obviously never in real life would that happen, but there's got to be something. Maybe, I mean, like. You're really doing some acrobatics to make this work. I know. I'm, like, reaching, like, no other to, like, make this work, which is something that I really hate when people do, but. It's okay, though. It's okay, right? It's a piece of entertainment, and if you enjoyed it, that's, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. (laughs) But there is a thing too. I mean, like in real life, people are completely abused by their spouse and still like retain this like sense of love, yeah, and even respect for them. But over, you know I mean, over months or years, right? When this thing's happening, because this thing's happened slowly, the gaslighting and the manipulation and mm-hmm. and other things. These things happen slowly, and you react to them slowly. But over a weekend, this is like twenty four hours, like you know. And and I feel like she's running for her life here. She's you know, half dead at that point and decides to turn around. So I don't know. We're going to, we're going to beat this horse until it's chunky salsa. Yeah, but. for real. I wish I would have seen a little bit more like flashbacks into their life, except for the, all, the only flashback we ever see is like them laying in bed and her going, Ka, I'm a crow or whatever, <laughs> you know? And like, like that doesn't really explain much except for why she turns the car around. I would have liked to have seen like just a normal Tuesday and what they did on that and mm. whether or not she was acting like remotely like a psycho. And maybe this person just like couldn't fucking realize yeah. who they were married to. Almost like it's know? missing a first act before they get in the car and go or something entirely and i i you know what i've seen this movie like five times now and i think that's absolutely right so yeah you're right but you you mentioned insulin and that is another huge turning point in this movie so i, I want to hear you talk about yeah that. so first of all those shots are surface shots right like just under the skin so like hydrogen peroxide would have instantly burned and bubbled up on the skin now you know i'm normally i'm very lenient towards those kinds of things right uh-huh. it's a movie but i feel like this is fairly common common knowledge about insulin shots at least right it's not going into like a vein (laughs) you know so but you know secondly jackie could have easily found that stupid laptop video you know before she injected herself with it it's just like these characters and the flow of the film is a slave to the screenplay so much that it's just like they're it's almost robotic in a way how they get to from a to b to c to d you know what i mean so it's like everything happened in the right order because it had to. And that was a little bit of a logical like narrative leap there that I wish had been done a little bit more carefully. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Because we, we're, we're given to, um, we're shown Jewel sort of like helping her injuries or like setting her bones and like, you know, help treating herself, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously she has some sort of medical training, right? Yeah. And um, there's a, there's an earlier shot where she's like giving Jackie the injection, right? In a flashback scene. So we know that she's diabetic and it comes full circle. But you're right. By the time that she like pulls that video, even before that, by the time she's giving herself the injection, I was like, oh, I forgot she's diabetic. And then she finds that video and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it really is just like a, it's a way to like just to complete the movie, right? To give somebody some comeuppance, yeah. I think. But yeah, in a really shoddy way. Yeah, but overall, I, the screenplay feels to me like it's like overly manufactured to end up at certain story beats that it hasn't hasn't really earned. And there are leaps of logic to how actual conversations, character motivations, or even time works. And that's my major problem with this movie. Everything about it is technically well done. It's still paced very well. It's just I think that's the caveat of that pace is that they sacrificed some of those, you know, you know, a little bit more careful, you know, softer transitions to achieve it. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I totally think that all of your points are valid. And um, like I said, I've seen this movie a good handful of times. And the first time I watched it, I was super, super impressed by it, you know. And, you know, on subsequent watches, I was just like, okay, it gets a little predictable. And I, I can see, like, how the screenplay flows in these these ways, right? But um, And I've shown this movie to a couple people, and everyone seems to like it on first glance. But I, I wonder how some of these people would think on a second watch, you know. One of my favorite things about this movie is that we are finally given like a really good gay villain you know what i mean yeah and like she's she's not a villain because she's gay there wasn't some traumatic thing that happened in her life to turn her into this gay serial killer right she's just a serial killer who happens to be a lesbian and i find it so refreshing that you know like you and i just watched dress to kill recently right and so like someone's a killer because they're a transsexual or someone so many movies we've seen where like they're evil because they're gay and i'm I'm so happy that we just have a movie with a gay villain that doesn't have to be explained by their their life or their circumstances you know like she said it's it's nature versus nurture and it's totally nature in this particular case she's just she's born that way Mm. right (laughs) it's like the other fucking gaga song but yeah and i mean like and i find it refreshing that they don't have to explain their relationship right and obviously it's because it wasn't even written that way and they sort of like stumbled across it yeah something you said kind of struck me because there has been use of lgbt characters in horror and especially if you look back at the 60s 70s 80s a lot of it is well dressed to kill like you said you know it's kind of used kind of in a problematic way right oh, yeah and sometimes really outright problematic i'm thinking of like um sleepover camp or whatever sleepaway camp and, and things like that mm-hmm. you know and in some cases like oh yeah well it's because she was a lesbian is because or because he was a gay you know or because they're transitioning or something like that and this i don't feel like is the same thing because it's so normalized they're already in a loving normal kind of relationship at least from the outside and certainly from jules point of view and so it's a lot healthier way to portray a lesbian or gay trans bi villain yeah, I mean, I agree. That's exactly how I feel. And um, I kind of hope that people can watch this movie and and, and have the same kind of thing. We, I, I would love to see more gay or lesbian representation on screen where we don't have to explain the reasons why. So this is our third Pride Month of doing the Film Flamers, right? And I, I think that there are some problematic depictions of gay people in the movies that we've covered mm-hmm. thus far. Certainly in the next one we're going to deep dive. 
<laughs> which I don't even quite sure that we can call them lesbians, you know, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, I think that this is the most refreshing view of gay people in a horror movie. If that's even a thing, you know, even in spiral, which Colin Minahan wrote and came out last year, the, the whole plot revolves around them being gay, you know? Mm. And, and why? The, yeah. And so I'm just like, no, like, I, I, I like this one a lot better. I, and I, yeah, I think she's a great villain. I've been a broken record about, you know, gay needs to be incidental. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. I mean, it's exactly what we need. You know, I keep seeing all these gay horror movies and like, it's just not, it's not what I'm really looking for. Yeah. So yeah, but I'll take the representation still. Agreed. All right. Well, um, I think we have some questions to ask about what keeps you alive. Like we do about every movie we deep dive on the film flamers. And we're going to start with Chris. What keeps you alive? (laughs) I mean, I kind of want to know, like, obviously what keeps Jackie alive in this movie is killing off her wives and, um, you know, living off their insurance. Yeah. To her, it's no different than animals. You know, it was a little weird for me to wrap my head around that. And how she was explaining it. I was like, I was trying to work it out in my mind while I was watching the movie. I'm like, what keeps you alive? There's easier ways to say that. I don't know. Um, what keeps me alive? Sometimes all I need is the air that I breathe. <laughs> that is an excellent answer. Thank you. <laughs> and to love all you. you need is the air that you breathe and to love me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, um, is what keeps you alive a horror movie? Yes, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, straightforward, straightforward. I don't even think that Colin Minahan would call it a thriller. I think that if he had his druthers, he would just call it no, horror. There's enough slasher and everything else, but who cares? You know, yeah. it's all horror. There's tons of slasher elements in this movie, and I mean, if we're gonna have a final girl conversation about a movie, clearly, I think that it's a horror film. Well, if that's the case, then you could say that um, Drop Dead Gorgeous is a final girl. Yeah, I mean, I would call that a horror movie too. Though, so. Yeah. Were you scared while watching What Keeps You Alive? No. Yeah, I wasn't either. I mean, like, oddly. I think that I was, like, I think the first time I watched it, I was really into it, and I felt a lot of tension. Yeah. And um, I had completely, like, just suspended my disbelief. And even, like, the the predictable parts, I wasn't even paying attention to. And so, like, I was gasping a lot. Yeah, I might have grasped my uh, decolletage area during the cliff scene. <laughs> I also wasn't expecting it to be as violent as it was and as bloody as it turned out to be in certain parts. So yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I was probably even scared the first time I watched it when she was singing that demon song or maybe just bored. I don't know. One of the two. Yeah. So out of five stars, what would you rate? What keeps you alive? I gave it a three just because of those problems that I had. Um, if I had to just do it on, acting and, and technical direction and cinematography and everything else, then I would say, you know, obviously a higher rating, but overall as a package, I have to give it three stars and I've started actually writing little mini reviews on letterboxd. Um, and so if you don't mind, I'd like to read it, please. Gorgeously shot, wonderfully acted and well-paced. What keeps you alive is a memorable experience and a reminder that those we hold most dear may not be the people we think they are. Unfortunately, there are numerous screenplay issues and leaps of logic that keep this thriller from becoming truly great. I love that. I don't know what I would write about this movie, except maybe it's Megan. Uh, I give this movie four stars. I think it's solidly a four star movie. I think that the first time I watched it and I pulled it up on Letterboxd, my first viewing of this was four and a half stars. So I haven't gone down too much. I still think it's incredibly enjoyable. I really like its pacing. I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I think that it's, it's keeps me on edge for most yeah. of it. And I really, really enjoy the acting, especially from Hannah and Lee Anderson. I think that she's just fantastic. But a- 
especially Lisa. But especially Lisa. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. I think three stars is a good rating for this movie. Yeah. So it's good. So I guess the, the official film flamers rating would be 3.5. Yes. Um, I am not going to ask you who you think the hottest guy in this movie is because there's only one guy in it. And that would be like, I don't know. <laughs> the bear. Yeah. Oh my God. I do love an bears. actual real bear though. <laughs> No, Joey uh, Klein was was cute enough. So yeah, he was we can say he's yeah. by default, de facto. I would say that the cast in this movie is overly attractive. Like all of them were really good looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know, but I liked them all. Yeah, even the lesbians. <laughs> That's literally <laughs> half the cast. So. <laughs> oh. Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on what keeps you alive. I really loved this movie when I first watched it, and I've been singing its praises since then. And we would like to know what you think about this movie. So head over to social media, find us at The Film Flamers on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com, or you can call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Hot podcasters with hog body are standing by. <laughs> Speak for your fucking self. <laughs> like Chris hinted at earlier, we have another movie with some lesbian qualities coming out for you later this month. And we're going to be talking about what movie? Wild Things. Wild Things, that's right. Featuring a lesbian kiss and Kevin Bacon's dick. That's right. Deliciously trashy. <laughs> if you can't get enough of the Film Flamers, guys, head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to find all of our bonus content. This month we're covering Sebastian, the only film ever uh, to be spoken in Latin, interestingly. And it's uh, completely filmed with uh, all the way through with naked guys. So if you can... If you can find that i think there was like two copies left on amazon or stream it on like the ed, like i think some university has it in their public library you have to pay to get access to but good luck finding it but we're going to talk about it anyway that's right because it is riddled with dead. yes <laughs> <laughs> also if you really want to help us out and help other people find our podcast head over to apple podcast or itunes give us a five-star rating a little snippet of why you like us and we're going to read that on our next shooting films we promise well, Robert, this himbo is a Kimbo, so I need to go. <laughs> I can totally see that on the screen. <laughs> and I think what keeps me alive is beer, and I'm fresh out. So I think it's time for us to go off and have some sweet, sweet dreams. If we were ever hiking, you'd be the last person I would think would push me off a cliff. So that means you're probably the first person to push me off a cliff. <laughs> no. I promise. No. You're at the bottom of my list. <laughs> oh, what keeps us alive? Plus, I have to find a gay cliff of doom. <laughs> and you're not a lesbian. It's like a, it's like a diving board. <laughs> <laughs> a diving board into lube. <laughs> this Pride Month, we're being really homophobic. <laughs> Strike the entire episode. <laughs> We'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>